One of the major themes in the Bible is God's desire to live among His people. Today on Resonate, Trent Griffith points out that theme finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Jesus would become the new and the better temple. The purpose for Old Testament temple worship would be fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus would become the high priest. Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb. Jesus would literally become the meeting place between God the Father and sinful man. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. While we're winding down a series that's titled Divine Deconstruction, and it's based right in the Gospel of Luke. You know, Jesus confronted many wrong belief systems in his day, wrong beliefs and doubts that still show up in our own thinking today. You know, one of the categories of wrong thinking that Jesus corrected could be called our fears about the future. Pastor Trent gave this message in early June of 2020, when violence broke out over issues related to police brutality and racial tension. So let's listen in. I have never been more excited to get to today because after listening to one another all week, I am ready to hear from the Lord. I have never been more passionate about the phrase we say every week, open your Bible. And uh, we don't just want to carry it around. We want to open it. We want to listen as God speaks to us. Let me ask you this as you're finding your way there. How's 2020 going for you? Um, I don't know about you, but it is a strange year in human history. I saw an email this week from Ligon Duncan, who's the president of Reformed Theological Seminary. And uh, he said this, he said, 2020 started off like 1974 with a presidential impeachment. And then it quickly became 1918, a global pandemic. And then it turned into 1929 with a financial recession slash depression. And now it seems that we are reliving 1968. Uh, I've heard about 1968. I was born in 1967 and I've watched documentaries on 1968. I don't have to watch documentaries anymore. I just have to turn on the news. And apparently we are right back in that place in human history. Uh, If you're like me, 2020 has led you to ask some very soul piercing questions like, is this the end of the world? I mean, with the COVID crisis and the rioting in the streets and the injustice that we've seen and and people jockeying for position to tell us what to do. um, I don't know about you, but I identify with the very last verse of the Bible. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Before we jump into what Jesus said about these end times, uh, I I told you to open your Bible. I didn't tell you where. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 21, and Jesus is going to answer some questions that we might have about the end times. Before we jump into that, let me just say that any discussion about the end times should be done with incredible humility. Good men, good theologians that love and affirm the inspiration, the inerrancy, the authority of Scripture have debated for 
centuries, about what the end times are going to be like. And so as we dive into this, just just know that. Um, And we're going to approach this. The key to studying the end times in the Bible is not to require the Bible to be more specific about the end times than it actually is. The Bible doesn't answer all of our questions. It doesn't satisfy all of our curiosity. But that doesn't mean that it's not clear. It is clear, and we're going to see what Jesus had to say to His disciples in the first century about this topic. Here's what all Bible-believing Christians can confidently agree on in relation to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We believe and expectantly await the glorious, visible, personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is actually in our doctrinal statement as a church. And it's not just something that that we debate about. It's not just some theology that we hold loosely. Listen, the promise of Christ's return is essential to living faithfully as a Christian. You cannot and you will not live a victorious, obedient, worshipful, courageous, enduring Christian life without reminding yourself daily that Jesus is coming soon. Our hope of the soon return of Jesus Christ is what gives us the ability to process the sadness and the injustice and the violence and the hatred and the brokenness of this world with all of its death and all of its disease and all of its disappointment without a conscious assurance of the soon return of Jesus Christ our hearts will spiral into fear and hatred and anxiety and foolishness. And we can avoid all that by saturating our minds with the confidence that Christ is coming soon. He will bring hope and peace and courage and discernment. And so that is what returns when we think about the return of Christ. The Bible's not silent about it. Of the 330 Messianic prophecies in the Bible, 220 of those prophecies refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, not just the first. Over 1,500 verses in the Old Testament are dedicated to the second coming. Out of 46 of the Old Testament prophets, 10 of those prophets spoke of Christ's first coming. 36 of those prophets referred to Christ's second coming. Jesus spoke about His second coming 20 times, and it's mentioned 50 times in total in the New Testament. And just consider how the Bible ends Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that is a prayer that we can pray daily as we assure ourselves of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Assuring ourselves of Christ's second coming, about what will happen then and there, gives us confidence to live in the here and the now. So let's dive into it here. And remember, we're just simply going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. We're about two years into this journey now. And as we open up in Luke chapter 21, we're reading about the last week of Jesus' life. And the setting in which we're going to about to read this is Jesus has made His way to Jerusalem where He will give His life as a sacrifice for sin. And the disciples that follow Him Ask him a question. So, picking up in verse 5 of Luke 21, it says this 
And while some were speaking of the temple, underline the word temple there in verse 5, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said. Now let me just pause right there. It's impossible to understand the conversation Jesus is going to have with His disciples about the end times without understanding the priority of temple worship to a first century follower of Jesus Christ. These were Jewish men who knew the Old Testament teaching about the meeting place of God. And it's hard for us to understand that because we don't think in terms of going to a temple. And and we, we get into trouble if we think of a church as being a temple. We'll unpack that here in just a minute. But let me just kind of briefly survey what the Bible says about this particular temple. Uh, the Bible opens up with a story about God and man dwelling together in the exact same place on earth, and yet... Heaven, where God dwells, and earth was one harmonious relationship. And of course, Adam and Eve sinned, and it broke this harmony between God and man. And so, as we read from that point on, it's, it's as if we read that God has His space in heaven, man has His space on earth, and man longs for those two places, the place of God and the place of man, to once again come together. And as the story unfolds, God meets with a man named Moses and tells him, instructs him to build a tabernacle, which would be the meeting place between God and man, the only exclusive place on earth where man could meet with God. And we're told about how Moses would enter into that tent and meet with God as if he was his friend. And his face shone, and the glory of God came in that moment between one man and the one God. But there was even more. After all of that, King David established his kingdom in Israel, and he wanted to build a temple, a dwelling place between God and man. God wouldn't let him do it, but he allowed his son Solomon to do that. And God gives him very intricate instructions about the core and the artwork and on the inside, the dwelling place where God and man would meet, there would be palm trees and fruit. And you would think, why is he describing a beach? He's not describing a beach. He's describing the original meeting place between God and man, the Garden of Eden. And it was not only pointing back to the Garden of Eden, it was pointing forward to the dwelling place between God and man that will happen when Christ returns and makes all things right. And so the disciples here are meeting with Jesus at the physical temple. Now, this temple that was built by King Solomon was actually destroyed in the year 586 B.C., so around 500, 600 years before Christ arrived, the Babylonians invaded, they ransacked the temple, conquered Israel, drug them off into captivity, they burned and destroyed that temple that Solomon had built. Seventy years later, the Israelites were allowed to return, and the first thing they did is they rebuilt the temple through the ministries of Ezra the priest and Nehemiah uh, and others that constructed that temple there, the temple was rebuilt. And yet, when it was finished, everybody was disappointed because it was not as impressive as what was remembered about the first temple. 
And so you would expect the glory of God to come as it did in the original temple, and it just doesn't. And everybody's left longing for more. That's the way the Old Testament ends. Now, about a hundred years before Christ shows up on the scene, the Romans rule now in Israel. And the governor there, the king, King Herod, was a builder. And he saw this kind of unimpressive temple that the Jews had built. And so you know what he did? He began to expand it. He made it more glorious. He, he, he widened it. He made it taller. It was, it was amazing. It was, it was known as the, one of the greatest structures on the face of the earth. Christ shows up. His followers are with Him. They go to what we call Herod's temple because it was expanded. And the disciples are amazed at how beautiful it was. And they start making comments. Jesus, notice how incredible this building is. Look how big it is, how wonderful it is. And Jesus says to them in verse 6, He says, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. And they ask Him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, it's a little vague there about what they're asking, but the Gospel of Matthew gives some clarity. What they were actually asking was was this question. Matthew fills in some gaps for us. He says, tell us, these disciples tell us when these things will be, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. The word coming there in our English translation comes from the Greek word underneath it, and the word is parousia. And it literally refers to when a king would arrive and at his inauguration take his seat upon the throne to rule and reign over his kingdom. And that is exactly what the followers of Jesus were expecting to happen in the next few hours. They're expecting Jesus to say, uh, uh, maybe this weekend, maybe maybe tomorrow morning, we might uh, invade and have this incredible military conquest over the Romans and and kick them out, and then we can all rule and reign in peace. That's what the disciples are expecting from Jesus as He's entering into Jerusalem. The disciples had no concept of a second coming of Jesus Christ. When we read this, we, we know He came the first time, and we're expecting Him to come again. And so we have to be careful not to read more into it as 21st century readers than the first century readers that Luke was actually writing to. And so these disciples are confused. What Jesus is about to do is completely deconstruct their expectations for what Jesus' kingdom and kingship is going to look like and actually when it's going to come. As a matter of fact, shortly after this, you have to remember just just as this was happening, it was somewhere around the year A.D. 30. So this was the 30s, not the 1930s, but the original 30s. And in the year 70, in the 70s, the Romans came and conquered Jerusalem. They destroyed this temple just as Jesus said would take place. So 
just 40 years after Jesus predicted it, it happened exactly as it unfolded. And that was the first sign of the coming of Christ. Now, as we talk about these signs, and we're going to unveil about six of them here very quickly, uh, we need to understand that each of these signs that Jesus mentions, it has a past fulfillment, it has a present fulfillment. And when I say present, not present for us, present for the readers that Jesus was currently speaking to in the text. And then it has a future one day occurrence that we all are looking forward to. And so you have to, again, read it through the eyes of the original readers in the first century and then interpret it because God has preserved it for us to read in the 21st century as well. Let me just give you the first sign. The first sign that Jesus gives for the end of the age is the destruction of temple worship. And that's exactly what happened in the year A.D. 70 when the Romans invaded. That was the end of temple worship. That was the end of animal sacrifice. That was the end of the priesthood. It was the end of the old covenant. Because Jesus inaugurated a new covenant as our new king. Now, he expands on this later in the chapter. I'm going to go a little bit out of order here, but if you look down to verse 20, he gives an expansion on what he's talking about would happen in the year A.D. 70. He says in verse 20, he says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. A divine deconstruction. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And it really gets really bad. He says, let those who are out in the country enter it. And verse 22, and uh, for these are days of vengeance. This is God's wrath and God's vengeance coming on Old Testament Israel who rejected their Messiah and rejected uh, their king. And this was the wrath of God coming on His rebellious people. These are days of vengeance to fulfill all that was written. And he's referring to all of the Old Testament prophecies that predicted this would happen. You can read about it in the Old Testament. Verse 23, Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the, this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And of course, he's speaking uh, to the majority of us who were Gentiles, not Jewish, but um, the times of the Gentiles. What, what Jesus was doing here was opening the door for those outside of ethnic Israel to come and form a multi ethnic family of God to experience the presence of God outside of a specific place on earth. And we'll unpack that here in just a minute. Jesus would become the new and the better temple. The purpose for Old Testament temple worship would be fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus would become the high priest. Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb. Jesus would literally become the meeting place between God the Father and sinful man. And so the very purpose of the temple in the Old Testament was to point forward 
to Jesus Christ Himself. And so as we come, we no longer need a building. We don't need a meeting place in order to meet with God. If Jesus lives in you, the Bible says you are God's temple. That's true individually of your body. Your body is the temple of God. So if Jesus inhabits you, you have the presence of God within you, and we meet with Him simply because we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. And then collectively, as a redeemed people, we also form a people group that can be called the household of God, the meeting place between God and man. Now, as I was reading through this, I just was reminded, and I want to remind you, that God can deconstruct buildings when buildings become a substitute for the true worship of God. God doesn't need buildings to accomplish His purposes. And we've been building this new building as a gathering place for worship. It's not a temple. Don't call it a temple. Sometimes I mess up and I call it a sanctuary. It's not even a sanctuary. It's a worship center. It's a gathering place for worship. And God can deconstruct that building as easily as He's allowed us to construct it If we ever begin to practice empty ceremonial religion and think somehow because my body is physically present in a building, then somehow that makes me closer to God, God can tear down buildings and He's done it over and over and over. If I think that simply because I'm in the place of worship, I'm worshiping, I've missed the whole purpose for worship. Hypocritical, external, religious exercise in beautiful buildings invites divine deconstruction. The more impressive the building, the more dangerous the deception of shallow religious activity. Worship doesn't happen in a building. If the worship is not happening in the hearts of those who are in the building. A place cannot substitute for a meeting with God. And that's what we're being told here in the Old Testament. The hypocritical ceremonial religion of the the rebellious Jewish people, they lost the heart of what it meant to have a meeting with God. And that's the first sign that Jesus gives. He's like, that temple is going to go away. There's going to be a new covenant, a new meeting place with God. And here's the second thing he mentions in verse 8. He says, and he said, See to it that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. He's referring to the prophesied Messiah from the Old Testament. And apparently there's going to be imposters that are going to pretend to be substitute saviors. That's the second sign that Jesus refers to here as a sign of His coming, His parousia. The kingdom is coming near when you find people offering to fix it. It could be political saviors that actually use Jesus' name is what it says here. It says, um, people are saying, I am He, and the time is at hand. Don't go after them. So they're using the name of Jesus. Maybe they're standing 
in a place of worship. Maybe they're even quoting scripture. And whether they're Republicans or Democrats or capitalists or progressives or independents or libertarians, uh, beware that you don't follow a substitute savior, military saviors, economic saviors. Listen, the point is this. In the times that are the hardest, there will be people lined up offering to lead you out of your trouble. And we are foolish if we turn to any other Savior than Christ. Well, that's a great reminder from Pastor Trent Griffith of Gospel City Church. You know, substitute saviors, they will always let us down. They claim to be enough for us, but they're not. There's a song by Brett Stanfill in North Point Worship that says this, Oh, capture my affection, let my heart forever be, singing only of your love, and that's enough for me. Here's North Point Worship. Oh, love surpassing knowledge, your grace so full and free, I know that Jesus saves me, and that's enough for me. Oh, wonderful salvation, from sin he makes me free. I feel the sweet assurance, and that's enough for me. That's North Point Worship, reminding us of the sufficiency of Christ. Before that, we heard from Pastor Trent Griffith of Gospel City Church. 
Gospel City Church is committed to helping everyone discover that Jesus is enough for them too. We gather in Granger, Indiana, and we love for you to come worship with us. All the information about service times and where we meet can be found on our website, mygospelcity.org. Start by looking under the About tab. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Well, next week, we'll hear the conclusion of Trent's message, and I hope you can join us for that. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that the sufficiency of Jesus would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.